I'm Heather Candelaria. And I'm Teresa Kleinlein. And welcome to Your Divorce Coaches, a Divi, the Divorce Agency podcast. We are back and we are here today. How lucky are we? So lucky. We are with um, well-known psychotherapist, um, Laura Greenwood. Welcome, Laura. Yeah, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so excited and... Heather, why don't you, I know we've been talking about this a little bit, but it's so important for us to have a therapist here. Everybody, I think, knows Mm -hmm. that therapy is so important, whether or not you're married or divorced or whatever, um, and how coaching is so different than it, but it can align so well. And I think that that's, you know, a, a really good point that a lot of people are very kind of unsure about. It's like, how is coaching different than therapy? And, you know, why would I see a therapist and then see a coach? And you know, Laura and I were just talking about this, you know, and please jump in when you want to because you're the therapist. You know, therapy is really about how you got to where you are emotionally and coaching is really about where do you want to be in the future and how do we get you there? So it's really like a, you know, like you said, like diagnosis and then, you know, pushing you forward in motivation and encouragement in a holistic sense in the coaching aspect of it. Absolutely. I would agree. And I think that, um, what I would tend to focus on, especially in divorce dynamics, would be the, the family system and the, the interpersonal relationships as well as the, you know, uh, the intrapersonal um, aspect of it, but looking at you know, any pathology, underlying pathologies that might be contributing to conflict and, and really just trying to facilitate a healthy dynamic amongst uh, any family who's considering or going through a divorce or has been going through one Mm -hmm. even your voice is like you're clearly a therapist you know what i mean like i can soothing i'm like oh first of all i need to promise everybody i'm not going to turn into this my to my personal coach like (laughs) therapy session um but it it's funny we've been wanting to have you on for a while and now we are six weeks into the pandemic and i mean i think the main thing that we we've kind of been trying to to do you know as coaching and divorce coaching Mm -hmm. is we're, we're not we're not trying to be pro-divorce in a time frame when we know that it could be, you know, the termination of a lot of relationships. And mm-hmm. so I think first and foremost, we wanted you to address basic generalities. We love sweeping generalities on, you know. <laughs> and statistics. Some, yeah. I'll throw, some, I'll throw out some statistics about, okay, so somebody really maybe should consider divorce or people are in quarantine and they're on each other's nerves yeah. and you know, just relax and don't make any major decisions. I mean, what, I know that you're really busy right now. And so what's your opinion on that? I definitely feel that there is uh, a need to to pause and delay and think of the, the context of any type of escalating conflict that people are experiencing or tension and stress that people are experiencing within their marriage. And I, I feel as though the way to distinguish is this you know, consideration of divorce, uh, a, a result of the pandemic versus, or quarantine versus um, a, a true issue that we need to address would be the, if there's a pattern, if there's mm-hmm. been a longstanding pattern of recurring conflict within a marriage that has, despite efforts, and that's important, despite attempts to work on it, hope, you know, I would imagine with a professional uh, it's just not getting better. If you've been hanging on by a thread for 
quite some time, and this seems to be the the straw. Um, I also think that you know, obviously, if you're on you know in a dangerous situation, mm-hmm. or the kids are in a dangerous situation in light of being quarantined, obviously that is you know adequate uh, you know basis for considering divorce. But otherwise, I think there needs to be a pause. Mm-hmm. I think there needs to be you know, uh, other mechanisms in place to give each other space and the grace to to get through this first and then consider whether or not a divorce is, is truly, you know, the better decision. Be- because crisis can lead to fighting, you know, it, and fear can lead to fighting. And so I'm sure there's a lot of relationships you're seeing where you're like, this is what you would, you know, file, mm-hmm. file under that. This is normal category. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, again, I think you want to look at long-standing patterns, mm-hmm. not just this being so stressful and it leading you to believe that, wow, we really can't work through anything. Because the reality is nobody knows how to work through this right now. There's right. no manual for it. And um, it, it changes daily. <laughs> no, it changes daily. I wanted daily. a signed copy. <laughs> oh, no. No, and I, I mean, I do. I And we can talk about it at some point Um during this podcast, but I, I think that there's one seemingly key yeah. um, solution that I would recommend to a lot of families right now. So piggybacking on that, because I do think that you're so right on with all of that. You know, the last kind of huge major shakeup that we've had globally was the economic crisis of 2008 and which, right. you know, we saw a spike in divorces after that. Right. So, you know, yes, we're still in quarantine. We're still dealing with this pandemic. You know, situations are very different, you know, because this is really not the result of overspending or, you know, living beyond your means, which can lead to a lot of tension in a marriage mm-hmm. and or irresponsibility, financial um, infidelity, things like that. Um, but do you think or do you anticipate, like, you know, having gone through something like this, that it's giving people to kind of look at their lives and be like, oh, wait, you know, maybe I'm not happy. Maybe I do want to make a change. Like, do you think, do you think like these big events tend to spur people to make decisions? I do. I, I do. And I think it's going to be uh, very critical for people to try to discern and differentiate what are all the contributing factors and not just lumping it into you know, oh, this is one big marital disaster because our finances are, you know, in the toilet and our, you know, my husband or my wife is out of a job and the kids are acting up and we can't seem to co-parent. All of this needs to be considered within the context of everybody in a loss right now. And what I mean by loss is losing those normal reliable, healthy outlets, mm-hmm. such as being able to, to get out of the house and to have space from each other. And the normal means of staying healthy have all been altered. So yes, I think that this is going to trick people mm-hmm. into thinking that maybe, uh, you know, it, it's it's the husband or the wife that is, you know, the issue here. And I think before moving on, I think also it's important being a divorced person to think about, okay, well, realistically, how is my life going to be then if I do get a divorce? Like, finances are bad. Finances mm-hmm. are still going to be bad if you get a divorce. You know what I mean? Like, like you're not getting along. You're still going to have to get along with each other 
if you're co-parenting kids. And anyway, I don't know, just thinking of ways of how sometimes it's not just a quick fix. Mm-hmm. But say that say that you're getting say that you do have a good relationship. Like you know that your relationship is solid, but you still need some tools on how to communicate now that you're annoyed as hell by this person, every the way they talk, the way they're doing everything. What are some ways to communicate or be a good partner if you do know that you're in a healthy relationship? You know, I think healthy relationships would have the ability then to see the value in scheduling some some regular check-ins with each other and never to assume that your situation is worse. I think we all have, you know, a tendency to become a little myopic in stress where we consider how much we're going through and not the other and we need to you know even within a marriage with or without kids we need to look at the system Mm -hmm. at hand as opposed because you you each are affecting each other so I think for healthy couples to be able to to say you know what let's touch base we don't know what we're doing right now we we can't we don't have the visibility tomorrow let alone a year from now we need to touch base with each other on a regular basis say weekly and just assess how are we doing? How are mm-hmm. you doing? What can I do different? What's working? What's not working? What What about, I mean, like, genders? I, I don't want to assume all our listeners are female or mm-hmm. they're probably all male. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm just guessing in general that there's a lot of men. I mean, I have three brothers and good relationship with my dad. I, I assume that there's a lot of guys that aren't being checked in on maybe, sure. like, you're acting like everything's okay because you don't mm-hmm. want to scare the family, but you're scared to death because of the finances or your job or this and that. And men maybe in general don't voice that as much. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're, I, I don't know, like go take that, take that and yeah. run with it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I think that's so important to not forget about, you know, this, the maybe stoic uh, provider type, you know, strong male figures because I think that they have a lot of fear and Mm -hmm. I think there could be a lot of pride because they have always anticipated just not always but you know there's there's Mm -hmm. a variety of but typically would anticipate being able to keep their family intact Mm -hmm. and uh, you know supported and all their needs met and this is a situation where they have no control or, or less control over that so I think again don't assume that your situation is worse or that just because they're not speaking about their struggles that they're not having them right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um and and they might even be having like shock waves and like PTSD from 2008 and 9 and like <laughs> having it but no but that's the last time when we'd like this big economic crisis and men identify so heavily with their you know, their ability to provide and their careers. Yes. And that was the last time it was all kind of shaken up and threatened. And, you know, now we're kind of there again. And it's like, I feel like men sometimes, and I'm not the therapist, so jump in, but they don't process it mm-hmm. as well. They just kind of deal with it and then it's over. But then it's like, it comes back. And it's like, oh my gosh, I don't think a lot of men have actually ever, ever healed from what happened, you yeah. know, back then. So that could be bringing up stuff too in your relationship, which is, you know, kind of something to watch out for. Yes, I think they could be going into the, you know, what is often, what it can be common with men and especially head of households is to fix things. Mm-hmm. Just, and there, there is no clear path to fixing um, financial 
uh, difficulties right now and being able to formulate a path. So it's, you know, I think checking in on them and making sure that they feel supported and that it's not all on them would be a wonderful way for healthy families and couples to, to you know, mm-hmm. to lean in with each other. Mm-hmm. How's your marriage doing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't okay. know. I don't talk about this. This is, the, <laughs> this is the second part of the podcast. Um, <laughs> You're on the hot seat, Laura. Right. <laughs> I mean, ro- I, <laughs> the roles have changed. <laughs> I think that Heather, the, Heather's very, sometimes I try to be like, what if we can all just, you know, everyone be okay? And Heather's like, what if you know this is over and you're done yeah. and let's talk about how long the legal system is taking? Yeah. So I know, Heather, you were saying, like, what do you... If you know this is going to end and you're in the house with somebody. Yeah. Like, say that you, like, you were ready to file a month ago mm-hmm. or six weeks ago. And this whole thing happens. You're stuck. You're in the same house. You have no way to get away from them. You have no way to deal with what's happening. The kids are there. They... Even when the quarantine ends, you oh, might yeah. you might not be able to afford two houses for right. a while. You know, the kids may or may not know. I mean, any advice that you can give people that are kind of dealing with that situation, too, because that's just... Besides alcohol. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I actually have two families right now that Mm -hmm. are in that situation exactly. And uh, once again, you know, this speaks to a, a greater cause, which is if you're thinking about divorce, you you really need to get uh, the help and support if you need it to to find a place of acceptance and forgiveness with the other person so that you can stabilize the situation for the kids mm-hmm. so and and begin to have some healthy communication so these these two in particular families right now they are figuring out systems within the home to eliminate open conflict and mm-hmm. to create you know, just some protocol and some systems, whether it's regarding the schedule, whether it's regarding the expectations of the children, who is going to get their, uh, you know, alone time and their space at what time, and being able to agree that this is an unfortunate situation, but uh, we have to stay focused on being able to get through it and also not to you know, create undue or additional stress on the children. So I think, again, it's a matter of of creating a plan. Can and, I ask you mm-hmm. about those not, those two families? And if you can't answer, that's fine. But did they are the children younger or are they older? Because I think if it, they're school age and you got the whole homeschooling. School age. And, oh, man, on top of everything else. School yeah, age. that's tough. It's very tough. It, it, it really is. And, um, again, so that's where if – if it's at all possible to do some tag teaming. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of parents feel like, okay, well, let's just, we have to pretend and we need to just come together and all just be a family. Not necessarily mm-hmm. because it's it's almost better to figure out a tag team scenario and, and take turns and then to expose them to, to conflict. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're not ready to tell the kids that the divorce is coming then keep everything as status quo but that includes eliminating opportunities for conflict mm-hmm. that kind of leads I think to the next question which is kind of the, the my big premise I think of my life is like is there hope for kids of divorce and I I think that there is if we approach it the right way and I've known you for a long time and I, and I 
I feel like that you um, you give hope for people that are worried about should I stay together quote for the kids and is that something that that you know is always not always but even sometimes an answer and what what can we expect from how well kids can emotionally and mentally thrive if we put effort into a good situation a healthy situation that's the key is putting effort into it being a healthy situation and absolutely there's hope for kids and it does not have to be some devastating traumatic experience that they can never recover from will it be difficult no doubt but there are so many ways for uh, parents to manage this divorce and the resulting changes for the rest of their kids lives in a positive way that that truly does bring more resilience and and maybe even you know just a a stronger appreciation for relationships Mm -hmm. and uh you know discernment before making that big commitment I, i think it could go either way and so much of it is more within the parents control than i think it's it's led to be- they're led to believe can you paint like a hypothetical and heather i'm sorry for going on and on but no. can you paint like a really hypothetical picture of parents stay together but this is happening you're not any better off than parents get a divorce and handle it like this like i think people need to hear that in terms of it's not always better to stay together. Right, right. But in your, in your really eloquent, <laughs> smart terms. And soft-spoken. I'm right. Like, and soft, very and soft-spoken. Right, like if they stay together, but this is happening, the kids are no worse off getting, getting a divorce, mm-hmm. maybe? No, absolutely. I mean, they need to... There's so much... Uh, shame. There's so much, there's so much shame on, on people for around divorce and and that's really sad and unfortunately it drives parents to stay together when that's not healthy for the kids so there's there's a lot of ways to go about this and i think that uh you know a a typical scenario if i should i lay out maybe an ideal way to handle yeah Uh, love that okay i mean in my opinion i think it would be all about um the the parents having gone through their own counseling to make sure that divorce is, is truly in the best interest of themselves and the family, the kids, and from there on out, keeping themselves, the parents, mother and father, very healthy in um, their own self-care and hopefully for the purpose of arriving to a place of forgiveness for you know for themselves mm-hmm and having gotten to a place of divorce, but also forgiving their spouse and, you know, having a friendship so that co-parenting can be as seamless as possible. They can come to some form of a, you know, middle ground as it comes to keeping everything as normal and consistent as possible for the kids and being able to not put your power struggles or differences above the kids needs because it just clouds their the ability to to truly tend to the children who are absolutely going through a big adjustment mm-hmm. and, and loss so I co-parenting communication and some basis of you know civility with each other but even if the ex say that you're like there's no hope this person let's say that they're 
they did this, they did that, there's no hope. I can still go to therapy and help me yes. be less reactive to their nonsense. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that that's one thing I think so many people will say is, but not in my situation. My situation is this and this. And it's like, but we can still try to help how much we're reactive. Absolutely. And I, I'm not going to pretend to say, that, you know, that that I, I'm, I'm speaking to the ideal scenario. Mm -hmm. Reality is that most divorces happen because one parent is not willing to cooperate, is not willing to look within themselves and be accountable. So I would say more situations than not, sadly, have one difficult parent who isn't willing to participate. Mm -hmm. And so um, absolutely, it's a bet. There's so many techniques and suggestions for how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, seeking a therapist to help understand and maybe practice okay how do I respond to this situation the kids are very upset their you know their parent uh, had didn't show up or has all of a sudden seemed to kind of fade away or has a new relationship what you know a mm -hmm. parent can what like what are, what are some of these obvious like mistakes that parents are doing like say that you're doing like a David Letterman that's how old I am. A David Letterman, <laughs> top 10. Biggest ob mistake. Obvious mistakes that parents do. Mm -hmm. Introduce them to the kids too. You know, introduce them to dating somebody too quick. I don't even know what they are, but what would yeah. you think, Heather? What do you think the big mistakes are? Um, your bedroom's in the wrong place? No, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> we just got done with the Feng Shui podcast. Oh, I, I like that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, I think just to me, and again, I don't want to make this about myself, but not respecting the role of the other parent and you know respecting those boundaries and you know not being able to manage anger things like that i mean i think that's what deteriorates a relationship with the ex and i really you know after going through it myself and being a not ideal ex um you know so much of it's just rooted in fear and you know that's where that anxiety and anger comes from and it's like if you can kind of get some answers and you know manage that fear that kind of translates into less emotion with your ex-husband or ex-wife absolutely i think you know i yes the fear would then breed you know disparaging the other parent and being more focused on winning mm -hmm. an argument with you know your ex than truly looking at what the situation is and and what the best solution is so i think you know just keeping emotions out of any kind of dialogue with the mm -hmm. kids and especially when it comes to the ex and being more focused on facts and when the children come to you and they might be hurting or frustrated or confused about how to interpret a, a you know a certain situation within the, the within the divorce regarding the other parent you want to validate and then you want if appropriate if you believe it would be a healthy outcome redirect them to speak to that, mm -hmm. to the X, to, um, so that it doesn't, you don't start this triangulation and splitting, mm -hmm. um, but validating the kids and keeping open lines of communication is, is huge. And when, when parents can't do that, that's when, that's when things go, get very devastating and can do some permanent damage. Is there a certain age when they're, when the kids are that when, okay, you don't really want to let them know that. You want maybe one of them, one person cheated or one person 
financially ruin the family? Like, it say that there's some kind of thing there, not a scandal, but something. Like, is there, like, I'm guessing that when the kids are younger, you keep them out of all those details. Yes. Or am, am I wrong? Is there a certain age when you're like, it's worse not to tell the kid, and then later on they find out, like, I don't know. I would say with that, it's, you know, it depends. But I, for the most part, yes, I think for elementary school age children especially, uh, you don't you don't need to provide details. What they need to know is what's how does it affect them? Mm-hmm. And they need the validation and reassurance that it, they're not being divorced. It's the parents are and they are loved. And we, you know, you keep it in their age appropriate verbiage. We just weren't getting along, and this is very complicated, hard for you to understand. And then I would, you know, watch their cues. If they're, if maybe they heard, overheard a conversation or, or a friend was starting to spread rumors about why they're, this person's parents divorced, they bring the question to the parents, then what do you do, lie? Right. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, I, I think, again, you, you have to use your judgment, and you can seek the help of a professional, uh, but I think... You find a way with the uh, least amount of emotion in terms of blame, and you say, you know, you, you try to you try to give them enough information to quell that confusion and the doubt that just uh, was presented to them. So watch for their cues. I I see, and I know that they said they there's supposedly like an epidemic of alienation of. It's like a song. Wasn't that a song? Like alienation. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of like a yoga song and yoga um, or a band. Of I see this more and more of like parental. Alienation. They're not talking at all to the dad. They're not talking mm-hmm. at all to the mom. I mean, and it's like, mm-hmm. what alienation. do you mean that they're not talking at all to one of them? Which of course is totally understandable in certain situations. When I'm sure it's better for the kid to not have any contact. Or there's times when one parent yeah. pulls out and goes to go leaves town. But in general, I see some families that are that could be really co-parenting kind of families, and there's some of it going on. Um, what causes that? Is that one parent talking badly about one? And if you're the parent that is being alienated, what is your advice? If you're the parent being alienated, I mean, I would seek out a counselor. Uh, I think not only for yourself, but potentially for the the children, if there's a reason that the child is not wanting to engage with one parent more than the other. Um, a, a counselor would hopefully be able to get to the bottom of that and then try to advocate for, you know, the dynamics within that relationship that could need to be addressed in a, in a clinical way. Um, do you have to get your, in most situations, do you have to get your ex's buy-in to take your kids to a counselor? Or if you have joint... Uh, decision making, can mm-hmm. you just take them? Typically, it's both, right? It's typically, mm-hmm. it's both. I mean, it, it depends on, on the decree, um, but I think typically most parents have that split mm-hmm. medical decision making. So, in my practice, we do have a special consent form where both have to sign, and it's always preferred to get a copy of the, de- the mm-hmm. decree, too. Before so, that can, be, that can be a problem. Mm-hmm. And that is really sad. If when, you're the, the parent that is not playing so nice, and then, then in addition to that, you don't want them to go to therapy. Right. right. How, do we, how do we fix that? 
Yeah, is that where, you know, you call on a mediator, you yes. call on a lawyer, you have to take them back to court, like you have to force their hand That's on when that. it goes back to court. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad, and I've seen things drag on for years where one parent absolutely refuses and... Um, are they Amish or like what? Why don't they want therapy? No, why do you what? I know because it's secret. They're to gonna. Me, yeah. They already know that they're guilty. Probably mm-hmm. anyway. Okay, so so that's just like a clarification. That's a probably that if, yeah, very loaded, very complicated question. But but if you're being yeah. the alienated parent, um, a lot of times like the truth will come out later, right? If yes. if one of the parents is trying to throw the kids against one sometimes you can sit tight and just still you still try to be a loving parent right you still let the kids know that you're that you love them even if they don't want to come see you for a while right I think that there's ways to to speak to the kids to help them understand it's not their choice to be to not be involved or to not spend time with them um, and that you're you're in the process of of working on trying to get you know, more equal time or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. So I, I mean, I, I think the other way to flip it is when, uh, there's true need to alienate the mm-hmm. other parent because of volatility and, of, and that once again goes back to probably a legal matter, uh, and seeking, seeking counsel there. But, um, that, that can be really hard too, because if they have joint custody, but the, there's some ill effects of a a parent's mental health or you know behaviors then sadly it needs to go back to court Mm -hmm. i you've seen so many different cases have you ever just you had have you had to fire people like they're just totally unreasonable will not work together and in that case you know what do you do i don't think i've ever had to fire anybody I think typically I mean there's there was there's a situation where I was unwilling to continue direct um, consultation or counseling Mm -hmm. with one of the parents because they became very volatile and threatening and inappropriate and clearly uh, unstable Mm -hmm. and was um not playing fair and absolutely not in it for the kids Mm -hmm. so I just had to remove myself from interaction with him but I'm typically the the child's therapist Mm -hmm. so they're my focus yeah so yeah I'm piggybacking on that too I mean like you said before there's so much guilt around divorce there's so much of a stigma things like that you know as someone who's been through a divorce obviously and people who are going through it you're trying to do so much for your kids and then say you have 50-50 custody and when you don't have your kids you might feel guilty you might enjoy it so what do you tell those people who are struggling even within themselves Mm -hmm. to kind of handle this new situation with children and to still feel like oh I'm a good parent even though they're not with me and I kind of like that I don't have them for a little bit so I have time for myself but I feel like that can cause a lot of conflicting emotions yes I think that Again, it goes back to the the frontline work. If you've determined that this is the path you need to go to, get counseling, get as much support as you can because the place you need to be as you start this process is peace within yourself, forgiving yourself, releasing the shame. And I would say develop your own narrative. Get clear and firm on what's your story and be truthful about it, but also be 
be adaptive because Mm -hmm. you're human and you made a very difficult decision and it's you've got a long road ahead so i think getting into that clear space of just stability and health and self-love can start to you know pave the path for you and the the issue with carrying too much guilt is that you start to overcompensate mm-hmm. um, in your in your parenting. Let's say you have very strong values in setting up kids' expectations around the value of money, and then all of a sudden you're in a divorce and you find yourself feeling so guilty that you just want to give them anything that they want, mm-hmm. and that that's not good for them. That sets up a a problem for later on, and it's you know it. it it should not be quelling any guilt that you're carrying. So I think being very mindful of um, where guilt is is not does not belong, and mm-hmm. if that's hard to to grab and and resolve, then I think you just need to continue to work on that mm-hmm. individually. When you <laughs> when you. <laughs> It was a dark night. Um, I don't know why I did that. Okay, so say that I think a big topic, too, is also people and they start to date. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's yeah. like this online dating. <laughs> oh, no way. Dating's really big. Um, it all comes back to so, so, every episode. This is actually. <laughs> um, so people want to date and it, it's a hot topic about like it was in our decree we weren't going to introduce them to anybody and then people are moving people into their house mm-hmm. and do you have any just general advice on that because i my stomach's growling i have um <laughs> i've actually fine. seen the older teenage kids be a little bit more upset about the dating than the younger ones the younger ones are kind of like that person brought me candy yay and the older ones are like wait a minute i can mm-hmm. have a boyfriend or girlfriend but you can't date so I'm just wondering, it's so it's not fair to generalize, but is there anything about, okay, so now you are dating guidelines, like red, like things that, you know, do not do this, try to do it more this way. Mm -hmm. And also at the same time, when the other one's doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. Yeah. So I would say if it's, if we're talking to the person who is divorced and dating and has started to feel serious about uh, a person that they're dating, be honest. Be honest, so be honest. and transparent. But, but, but you said starting to be serious. So like... Yeah, so if if you're going, you know, if you're just a serial dater and you're just looking to have fun and meet a bunch of different people, no need to bring any of that into the children's lives. But if there's somebody that you're forming a pretty, you know, good bond with mm-hmm. and that uh and again watch for the kids cues maybe they're overhearing this and they have questions that's when you want to be honest Mm -hmm. and i also would encourage parents to take their kids pulse on this and allow them to have some some say and feedback about how they feel and not that that doesn't mean you give them the authority to dictate your dating life but how respectful it feels to the kids and empowering it feels to the kids to be brought into a little bit of this process. Um, I, you know, that was a, a point that a lot of adult, young adult uh, kids of divorced parents make mm-hmm. to me. What do they say? It, they say, you know, when they start to meet other people or, you know, whatever, we're going to blend a family, how, how in, 
important it feels to them to be a part of that process because that's right. their family. Mm-hmm. This, you know, even though there's, you know, it will be a step or maybe not, it's, that's, this is their family this other person is coming into and they want to vote. Mm-hmm. Again, not the final, but they want to, they need to right. feel heard. What about like step parents? What about them? What, what about them? I'm Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> What's with step, step parents? <laughs> um, I'm sure that's a whole, that's a whole nother different topic. And that could tricky. be a whole other podcast. Yeah. yeah. Right. And how do you family. introduce people and, well, and, and if, bring if, them in? If the new one doesn't dynamics. have any kids, I think that is a, is a big one. If your ex is with someone who doesn't have any kids in general, you almost have to really try to understand that, okay, they don't even have their own kids. They under, they might not understand this whole situation. Right. Yeah, that's blended family dynamics are, are tricky and they are their own ball of wax. Don't mm-hmm. they say it takes seven years? I think my <laughs> kids will be my kids will be like 30. <laughs> You're laughing. But I think they say years. it takes like seven years of being a blended family before you start to kind of feel a sense of normalcy. I mean, I've not heard that, but I I think it makes sense. And as you know, I'm working with a family right now who does such a great job of trying to integrate slowly. What what's a great what's a great job? Like, what do they do that's and so great? From the get go, started counseling. From the get go, did some family sessions, and then the suggestion that I had had was to have an open forum where. Uh, you know, and at times it needs to be private. So mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. you know the biological parent with their children start this process of keeping an open forum. Uh, but then there needs to be the unity and the the group family meetings where everybody can say, you know what this this is what's hard for me about spending time you know living in a home with with other mm-hmm. kids or a mm-hmm. step parent. And here's unique to me here's what i need i i'm an introvert i need downtime i need uninterrupted you know phases throughout the day in order to regenerate my energy and then i can be more open to you know uh, being cohesive so i just it's a long process and i think being very sensitive to everybody's unique dynamics and personality Mm -hmm. temperaments so I think, you know, as we kind of wrap up the episode, are just we, to give us... wrapping up? Sorry, go ahead. Um, you know, if you were to give three just very key pieces of advice to people who are considering or in the process of after it to kind of help them keep their sanity through it, to deal with... Like, is there just kind of three things that you would say, okay, let's do this, this, and this. And I know every single case is different, and mm-hmm. it's really hard to make sweeping generalizations like that. But you well, know, do, you, do one set, if you're if you're thinking about divorce, think about these three things. Sure. And then if you're going through it mm-hmm. and you have kids, these three things? Mm-hmm. Maybe, Two sets yeah. of three? Yeah, I can try to Six do that. Things. So <laughs> if you're considering it, think very strongly about the fact that you will have to work with your ex Again, I guess we're assuming with if yeah. there's children, right? Mm-hmm. We're just saying there's children. You will have a working relationship with this person for the rest of of your life, and how important it is to do your very best to put pride and ego aside for the sake of the kids. So again, take whatever resources, help, and support you can to get to that place of acceptance that this this is the path, forgiveness. And uh, and and see each other somehow through the lens of 
respect that they're going to be raising your children. So I think, you know, that's that's number one. Don't falsely believe that you're going to get away from this person forever. Number two is ab- it is absolutely critical if you want to minimize any kind of psychological effects on the kids to co-parent. And co-parenting, you know, can be done in, in many different ways, and technology helps with that. You don't have to have sit-down discussions. You can, you know, do it in a variety of formulas. So, I mean, and, and you just have to get to a place where you can determine what is the best and most seamless way to do it. Um, keep conflict away from the kids because another thing I hear from kids of divorce is that when they see their parents fight, it represents two thi- or three things, actually. It represents, wow, I'm a product of that level of dysfunction. How, that makes me feel bad. Am I dysfunctional? Number two, it affects how they perceive each parent. If their perception of witnessing conflict was that mom was in the wrong, they start to favor dad. Um, and, and they don't need to be involved in that process. And then the, the last thing is it affects the way that they view relationships and it, it could start to create hopelessness about their future relationships and so forth. Real quick, do you have any software that you suggest for co-parenting? I know that's a lot of different co-parenting software out there right now. I, I don't know if you're allowed to even say your opinion on that. but I, I don't have any specific okay, software on that. But just in general, it's you like it. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. I mean, it just, I mean, I do a lot of co-parenting mm-hmm. sessions. And, um, and I think that there's a lot of good resources out there for parents and then also for, for kids um, to just be navigating all of this. So, yeah. One last thing, just to try to catch you off guard, <laughs> trying to stump you. We're playing yeah. stump the therapist. And you are. Any, any, say that somebody right now can't afford therapy. Let's be honest. Sure, it might sure, be me. sure. Absolutely. Um, any speci- if there was one book that you were like, this is a great book to go and read, whether it's for the relationship or for the kids or for the kids to read, the parent to read, just any books? I have many. Oh, and okay. I don't know if you, if there's an ability for me to create a list and send it to you and you could put it on your website or yeah, anything like that. Yeah, that'd be great. I don't have a, them written down. Driving people. Several for kids. The website. Several for mm-hmm. Any uh, and Samuel parents. Jackson doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ten second oh. little. Okay, good. Those. Mm. That's what's important because I also feel like that everybody needs therapy. Yes. But then sometimes, I've had times in my life where I'm like, am I going to eat or have therapy? Mm-hmm. I know. I know. I know. Yes. So great. The books are great, too. Thank you so much. There's nothing more important than your perspective on this and Mm -hmm. how thank thank you for being honest. Mon, you've worked with, you've helped so many families. So, I mean, again, thank you for being here. We appreciate everything you have to say and your wisdom and sharing it with us. I love being a part of you, Thursday at (laughs) 1. Thanks, Laura. Okay. Thank thank you. you.